Chapter Twenty Three of the First Violin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The First Violin by Jessie Fothergill. Chapter Twenty Three. Es ist bestimmt im Gottesrat, dass man von Liebsten was man hat muss scheiden. Our very little Zauberfest of Christmas Eve was over. Christmas morning came. I remember that morning well. A gray, neutral kind of day whose monotony outside emphasized the keenness of emotion within. On that morning the postman came, a rare occurrence for us, for except with notes from pupils, notices of probe or other official communications, he seldom troubled us. It was Sigmund who opened the door. It was he who took the letter and wished the postman good morning in his courteous little way, I dare say the innocent gave an additional pang afterward to the father, if he marked it, and seldom did the smallest act or movement of his child escape him. Father, here is a letter, he said, giving it into Eugen's hand. Perhaps it is for Friedel. Thou art too ready to think that everything appertains to thy father, said Eugen with a smile, as he took the letter and looked at it. But before he had finished speaking the smile had faded there remained a whiteness a blank a haggardness i had caught a glimpse of the letter it was large square massive and there was a seal upon the envelope a regular letter of fate out of a romance eugen took it into his hand and for once he made no answer to the caress of his child who put his arms around his neck and wanted to climb upon his knee he allowed the action but passively let me open it cried sigmund let me open thy letter no no child said eugen in a sharp pained tone let it alone sigmund looked surprised and recoiled a little a shock clouding his eyes it was all right if his father said no but a shade presently crossed his young face his father did not usually speak so did not usually have that white and pallid look about the eyes above all did not look at his son with a look that meant nothing eugen was usually prompt enough in all he did but he laid aside that letter and proposed in a subdued tone that we should better have breakfast which we had and still the letter lay unopened and when breakfast was over he even took up his violin and played runs and shakes and scales and the air of a drinking song which sounded grotesque in contrast with the surroundings this lasted for some time and yet the letter was not opened it seemed as if he could not open it i knew that it was with a desperate effort that he at least took it up and went into his room and shut the door i was reading that is i had the book in my hands and was stretched out in the full luxury of an unexpected holiday upon the couch but i could no more have read under the new influence could no more have helped watching sigmund than i could help breathing or feeling he sigmund stood still for a moment looking at the closed door gazing at it as if he expected it to open and a loved hand to beckon him within but it remained pitilessly shut and the little boy had to accommodate himself as well as he could to a new phase in his mental history the being excluded left out in the cold after making an impulsive step toward the door he turned plunged his hands into his pockets as if to keep them from attacking the handle of that closed door and walking to the window 
gazed out silent and motionless i watched i was compelled to watch he was listening with every faculty every fibre for the least noise the faintest movement from the room from which he was shut i did not dare to speak to him i was very miserable myself and the sense of coming loss and disaster was driven firmly into my mind and fixed there a heavy provision of inevitable sorrow and pain overhung my mind i turned to my book and tried to read it it was one of the most delightful of romances that i held no other than die kinder der wild and the scene was that in which edwin and toinette made a delightful irregular sunday excursion to the schalberg but i understood none of it with that pathetic little real figure taking up so much of my consciousness and every moment more insistently so i could think of nothing else dead silence from the room within utter and entire silence which lasted so long that my misery grew acute and still that little figure which was now growing terrible to me neither spoke nor stirred i did not know how long by the clock we remained in these relative positions by my feelings it was a week by those of sigmund i doubt not a hundred years but he turned at last and with a face from which all trace of cool had fled walked slowly towards the closed door sigmund i cried in a loud whisper come here my child stay here with me i must go in said he he did not knock he opened the door softly and went in closing it behind him i know not what passed there was silence as deep as before after a short inarticulate murmur there are some moments in this our life which are at once sacrificial sacramental and strong with the virtue of absolution for sins past moments which are a crucible from which a stained soul may come out white again such were these i know it now in which father and son were alone together after a short silence from which my book hung unheeded from my hand i left the house out of a sort of respect for my two friends i had nothing particular to do and so strolled aimlessly about first into the hop garden where i watched the rhine and looked hollandward along its low flat shores to where there was a bend and beyond the bend geiserswitz it is now long since i saw the river fair are his banks higher up not at elbertal would he have struck the stranger as being a stream for which to fight and die but to me there is no part of his banks so lovely as the poor old schöner aussicht in the elbertal hop garden from whence i have watched the sunset flashing over the broad water and felt my heart beat to the sense of precious possessions in the homely town behind then i strolled through the town and coming down the konigsallier beheld some bustle in the front of a large imposing-looking house which had long been shut up and uninhabited it had been a venture by a too shortly successful banker he had built the house lived in it for three months and finding himself bankrupt had one morning disposed of himself by cutting his throat since then the house had been closed and had had an ill name though it was the handsomest building in the most fashionable part of the town with a ground porte-cochet in front and a pleasant enticing kind of bowery garden behind the house faced the exerzierplatz and was on the promenade of elbertol 
a fine chestnut avenue made the street into a pleasant wood and yet Konigsallee number three always looked deserted and depressing i paused to watch the workman who was throwing open the shutters and uncovering the furniture there were some women servants busy with brush and duster in the hall and a splendid brocken was being pushed through the porte-cochere into the back premises and a couple of trim-looking english grooms with four horses followed is someone coming to live here i demanded of a workman who made answer jawohl a rich english milord has taken the house furnished for six months sir le marchant or the so it was i do not know the name quite correctly he comes in a few days so i said wondering what attraction elbertol could offer to a rich english sir or milord and feeling at the same time a mild glow of curiosity as to him and his circumstances for i humbly confess it i had never seen an authentic milord elbertol and kern were almost the extent of my travels and i only remembered that at the niederrheinische musikfest last year someone had pointed out to me a descript-looking old gentleman with a bottle nose and a meaningless eye as a milord very very rich and exceedingly good i had sorrowed a little at the time in thinking that he did not personally better grace his circumstances and character but until this moment i had never thought of him again that is his secretary pursued the workman to me in an undertone as he pointed out a young man who was standing in the middle of the hall notebook in hand herr arkwright he is looking after us when does the englander come in a few days with his servants and milady and milady's maid and dogs and bags and everything and she milady is to have those rooms he pointed overhead and grinned those where bankier kleiner was found with his throat cut eh he laughed and began to sing lustily in berlin sagte er after giving one more short survey to the house and wondering why the apartments of a suicide should be assigned to a young and beautiful woman for i instinctively judged her to be young and beautiful i went on my way and my thoughts soon returned to eugen and sigmund and that trouble which i felt was hanging inevitably over us eugen was that evening in a mood of utter cool aloofness his trouble did not appear to be one that he could confide at present at least he took up his violin and discoursed most eloquent music in the dark to which music sigmund and i listened sigmund sat upon my knee and eugen went on playing improvising or rather speaking the thoughts which were uppermost in his heart it was wild strange melancholy sometimes sweet but ever with a ringing note of woe so piercing as to stab recurring perpetually such a note as comes throbbing to life now and then in the sonate pathetique or in raff's fifth symphony eugen always went to sigmund after he had gone to bed and talked to him or listened to him i do not know if he taught him something like a prayer at such times or spoke to him of supernatural things or upon what they discussed i only know that it was an interchange of soul and that usually he came away from it looking glad but to-night after remaining longer than usual 
he returned with a face more haggard than i had seen it yet he sat down opposite me at the table and there was silence with an ever-deepening sympathetic pain on my part at last i raised my eyes to his face one elbow rested upon the table and his head leaned upon his hand the lamplight fell full upon his face and there was that in it which would let me be silent no longer any more than one could see a comrade bleeding to death and not try to staunch the wound i stepped up to him and laid my hand upon his shoulder he looked up drearily unrecognizingly unsmilingly at me eugen what hast thou la mort dans l'âme he answered quoting from a poem which we had both been reading and what has caused it must you know friend he asked if i did not need to tell it i should be very glad i must know it or i'll leave you to it said i choking back some emotion i cannot pass another day like this and i had no right to let you spend such a day as this he answered forgive me once again friedel you who have forgiven so much and so often well said i let us have the worst organ it is something about i glanced towards the door on the other side of which sigmund was sleeping his face became set as if of stone one word and one alone after a short pause passed his lips yeah i breathed again it was so then i told you Fiedel, that i should have to leave him the words dropped out one by one from his lips distinct short steady yes that was bad very bad the worst i thought it could befall but it seems that my imagination was limited eugen what is it i shall not have to leave him i shall have to send him away from me as if with the utterance of the words the very core and fibre of resolution melted away and vanished and the broken spirit turned rising and shuddering from the phantom that extended its arms for the sacrifice he flung his arms upon the table his shoulders heaved i heard two suppressed choked down sobs the sobs of a strong man strong alike in body and mind strongest of all in the heart and spirit and purpose to love and cherish la mort dans l'âme indeed he could have chosen no fitter expression send him away i echoed beneath my breath send my child away from me as if i did not want him said courvoisier slowly and in a voice made low and halting with anguish as he lifted his gaze dim with desperate pain of coming parting and looked me in the face i had begun in an aimless manner to pace the room my heart on fire my brain reaching wildly after some escape from the fetters of circumstance inevitable but iron-strong relentless as cramps and glaives of tempered steel i knew no reason of course i knew no outward circumstances of my friend's life or destiny i did not need to learn any i did know that since he said it was so it must be so sigmund must be sent away he we must be left alone two poor men with the brightness gone from our lives the scene does not let me rightly describe it it was an anguish allied in its intensity to that of gethsemane let me relate it as briefly as i can i made no spoken assurance of sympathy i winced almost at the idea of speaking to him 
i knew then that we may contemplate or believe we contemplate some coming catastrophe for years believing that the suffering when it finally falls will be lessened this is an illusion let the blow rather come short sharp and without forewarning preparation heightens the agony friedel said he at last you do not ask why this must be i do not need to ask why i know that it must be or you would not do it i would tell you if i could if i might for heaven's sake don't suppose that i wish to pry i began he interrupted me you will make me laugh in spite of myself said he you wish to pry now let me see how much more i can tell you you perhaps think it wrong in an abstract light for a father to send his young son away from him that is because you do not know what i do if you did you would say as i do that it must be so i never saw it till now that letter was a revelation it is now all as clear as sunshine i assented then you consent to take my word that it must be so without more indeed eugen i wish for no more he looked at me if i were to tell you said he suddenly and an impulsive light beamed in his eyes a look of relief it was nothing else of hope crossed his face then he sunk again into his former attitude as if tired and wearied with some hard battle exhausted or what we more expressively call niedergeschlagen now something more he went on and i saw the frown of desperation that gathered upon his brow he went on quickly as if otherwise he could not say what had to be said when he goes from me he goes to learn to become a stranger to me i promise not to see him nor write to him nor in any way communicate with him or influence him we part utterly eugen impossible herr gott impossible cried i coming to a stop and looking incredulously at him that i did not believe him impossible i repeated beneath my breath by faith men can move mountains he retorted this then was the flavoring which made the cup so intolerable you say that that is and must be wrong under all circumstances said eugen eyeing me steadily i paused i could almost have found it in my heart to say yes i do but my faith in and love for this man had grown with me as a daily prayer grows part of one's thoughts so was my confidence in him part of my mind he looked as if he were appealing to me to say that it must be wrong and so give him some excuse to push it aside but i could not after wavering for a moment i answered no i am sure you have sufficient reasons i have god knows i have in the silence that ensued my mind was busy eugen courvoisier was not a religious man as the popular meaning of religious runs he did not say of his misfortune it is god's will or did he add and therefore sweet to me he said nothing of whose will it was but i felt that had the cause been a living thing had it been a man for instance he would have gripped it and fastened to it until it lay dead and impotent and he could set his heel upon it but it was no strong living tangible thing it was a breathless abstraction a something existing in the minds of men and which they call right 
and being that not an outside law which an officer of the law could enforce upon him being that abstraction he obeyed it as for saying that because it was right he liked it or felt any consolation in the knowledge he never once pretended any such thing but true to the character of child of the world hated it with a hatred as strong as his love for the creature which it deprived him of only he did it he is not alone in such circumstances others have obeyed and will again obey this invisible law in circumstances as anguishing as those in which he stood will steel their hearts to hardness while every fibre cries out relent or will like him wither under the lash shake their chained hands at heaven and submit one more question eugen when soon a year would seem soon to any of us three in a very short time it may be in weeks it may be in days now friedhelm have a little pity and don't probe any further but i had no need to ask any more questions the dreary evening passed somehow over and bedtime came and the morrow dawned for us three it brought the knowledge that for an indefinite time retrospective happiness must play the part of sun on our mental horizon end of chapter twenty three